Jonathan Armstrong, and we're joining uh, together for this week's Tech Law 10 podcast. So thanks very much for being online with us. With, um, with me is my colleague Eric Sinrod, who's over with Dwayne Morris in California. And um, Eric, the world of e-commerce is a bit of a jungle, and one bit of the jungle is bigger than others. Tell us about it. Yes, indeed. Well, I have to make a confession here, Jonathan. Now that we're on Podcast 179, I've got to break the personal news that I'm an Amazon junkie. I just love the fact that I get an idea of something I want, and I can get on the computer, and literally, you know, at most two days later, it's at my doorstep. I think it's fantastic. So why are we talking about Amazon today? Obviously, we're talking about it beyond the fact that I like it uh, and the convenience. But let's sort of go back in time a bit uh, when e-commerce really started coming to the fore, you know, around the 2000 time period, early 2000s. And toward the beginning of the commercial Internet, as I wrote in my recent blog, Jonathan, so many critics questioned uh, Amazon's very aggressive approach in throwing money at the concept of becoming the full-purpose seller of all types of products online. I mean, as we know, Amazon started with books, but very soon thereafter, Amazon just went after everything in terms of products. And while Amazon was growing uh, along the way and trying to be that huge river in the jungle, if you will, uh, it was in the red uh, for years and far from turning a profit. And many detractors believed that this you know, aggressive approach would fail uh, that it wasn't sustainable, and that Amazon uh, as a company would go under like so many early dot-coms that we know about. So as I said in my blog, or as I asked in my blog, Jonathan, who's laughing now? And obviously it's Amazon and its CEO, Jeff Bezos. So what's happening with Amazon economically right now? Well, Amazon, Jonathan, has turned a profit for the fifth straight quarter, uh, and this past quarter, its profit margin substantially increased. And this is a very positive trend for Amazon. You know, Amazon, as I said in my blog, staked its future on grabbing as much commercial selling space as possible uh, on the Internet. And now the volume of sales on Amazon daily truly is astronomical. And seeing that Amazon finally is profitable, and with this incredible positioning that it has, uh, the sky, I guess there are too many metaphors here, you know, Amazon, a river, but the sky potentially really is the limit. So in terms of specifics, for the second fiscal quarter of 2016, Amazon posted a profit of $857 million. Uh, this was on the back of 30 over $30 billion in revenue. So just think about that, $30 billion in revenue for a quarter. And these earnings easily exceeded Wall Street predictions. And Amazon's profit reportedly has increased by 832% with increased sales of 31%. I know there are a lot of numbers here. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised that the share price for Amazon has increased over 40% in the past 12 months. Uh, so what's fueling all this growth? Well, Amazon, this might be of interest to you, 
uh, over there across the pond has really been making a reach internationally. It's been leveraging cloud computing. Uh, it's employed lower logistical costs. It provides free delivery to prime subscribers like me, and it has many other features. And now Amazon's projecting sales between 31 and 33.5 billion dollars for the current quarter. So that's all the arithmetic I'm going to provide. But obviously, Amazon's early in, sorry early investment and growth now is paying off. And we know that Amazon is the sales marketplace beast uh, on the internet. Now you know we've seen you know trends come and go, and things can change. Can change, but Amazon really is trying to stay ahead of the curve. And one thing we can now say, and sort of looking in our rearview mirror, that those doomsayers, those predictors of Amazon's demise, uh, were, if anything, flat wrong. Uh, so, Jonathan, <laughs> what do you have to say about this? Where to begin? Um, uh, I think uh, one last pun then. I think it's hard to see the wood for the trees, isn't it, with the world of e-commerce. But um, I can remember being part of a uh, government consultation exercise at the end of the 90s, because I'm incredibly old. And, uh, and it was around about how do we get more um, small businesses particularly to engage in you know, what was then fledgling e-commerce, a theory almost, rather than a practice. And one of the things that uh, I was strongly arguing for was to try and make it easier for businesses to outsource parts of their retail operations. So at the time, I knew from some of my clients who were, and as I say, fledgling e-commerce operations, late 90s going into the 2000s, that things like deliveries were hard, collections were hard when people wanted to return stuff, maintaining the website catalog was hard. And whilst people tried to do little bits of it, so there were good people who built website catalogs, none of this was joined together, and you couldn't buy it on, on what we now call a pay-for-play basis. And it was interesting that... Um, I have to tell you that some of the government officials involved, I can remember, poo-pooed it and said there was no demand for such a service and people would scale out their own platforms and, and you know, shops wouldn't want to go online and how ridiculous was that, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's like, you know, to use your phrase, uh, how wrong could they be? Interestingly to me, um, given the you know, almost the objections from government at the time. One of the really, to me, quite uh, interesting deals is, as you might know, all company records in the UK have been put onto a new digital platform. So I can look real-time at information on any UK company for free as part of a beta test. Have mm -hmm. a wild guess, Eric, at who provides that beta test for the government. You tell me. Amazon. Amazon. I thought so. so I thought so, but I, I wanted you. To, I wanted you to say it. I thought so. Yeah. So, so I think we've gone from a position where, you know, as you say, Amazon have done what many businesses uh, 
you know, needs to do and businesses that are successful do. One of the great things that, that, that they do, and, and I knew one of their very uh, early management team in Europe, is, is how he described it to me, is that we basically look around the organization for assets that we can sweat more so that, you know, at the, at the time their business was very seasonal. So how do we, how do we fill the, how do we get the warehouses busy? How do we get the servers humming? when we're not busy with our core business. And they've taken almost this, this selling of capacity that they had and made a business out of that. Now, mm-hmm. for balance, we should say that uh, some of their allegations about the way in which they swept human capital particularly are distasteful, and they suffer from some of those allegations in Europe, and I'm sure that were Amazon on the phone with us, they'd say that they've made great strides to improve that. So it isn't all um, a a, a glorious bed of roses. And that, in some respects, has led to a tougher regulatory climate in Europe. We've seen regulators in a number of countries want to look particularly, and I'm not just singling Amazon out here, at e-commerce operations, which they perceive partly as not respecting their employees. Partly they're worried about a, a alleged um, a hard sell tactics. So people like Groupon, for example, have been in the teeth of regulators for uh, alleged mis-selling uh, versus bricks and mortar stores. And, and partly for the way in which they use data. We had an interesting case in France just last month where the French data protection regulator uh, prosecuted a large um, online retailer in uh, in France, one of the top 15 e-commerce sites in France, called Brand Alley. It's a little bit like a mini Amazon, but it's more focused on things like fashion, beauty, home stuff, and it's got a slightly different model in terms of you collectively buy. But one of the things that Canil, the French data regulator, said is that they weren't honest with customers. They didn't tell them how long they were holding their data on for. They were using cookies when they said they wouldn't. They weren't securing personal data enough when people bought on credit cards. And when they thought they were dealing with a French entity, they were, in fact, having their data processed in Morocco and Tunisia. And, and, and again, that's one of the things that Amazon have done well, I think, that they've used the globe to their advantage. You know, they've used... Um, the round the uh, follow the uh, sun model for support and things like that very well. Uh, and cloud computing, as you say, is another example. I saw a very interesting quote on that this week that said, there's no such thing as cloud computing. There is only using somebody else's computer. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and in essence, that's what, that's what cloud computing is. But of course, right. a lot of the world now, for a lot of the world, including the UK government, that someone else who owns that computer is is Amazon. So I agree with you. It's been a, a, a revolution, really, from where they started as a sort of independent online bookseller. I think very early on we saw they had ambitions, you know, the way in which they got into banking, etc. And and what they've been able to do is is evolve. And I know some of their people still, and they they hire really good talent in key areas and people who are always evolving and changing the business. Right, and they're thinking about creative things like uh, 
delivering products to your house by using drones. I think we might have talked about that before, but the ideas just keep coming, uh, and some of them actually take hold. So this has been very interesting. I know we're probably at the end of our Tech Law 10 here. Um, if you have any further thoughts on this topic or others, uh, please let us know. Um, this is, I believe, Podcast 179. We're going to be pushing forward soon to 200. Perhaps we'll have a celebration, I believe, like we had for 100. So all that remains to say, as Jonathan would say, uh, this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris in San Francisco. My email address is ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You can reach us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I don't know if you can reach us on Amazon. <laughs> We're probably not susceptible to an Amazon you, review. Yes, you can. You can. You can leave a comment. You can leave a comment on my book page on Amazon. Uh, there you I, go. I read, you? I read them about every two years, so you're welcome to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. All right, Jonathan, why don't you bring it home, and uh, thank you for joining me on this one. Uh, thanks, Eric. So I'm uh, Jonathan Armstrong, jonathan.armstrong at cordrecompliance.com. Uh, as Eric says, do connect with us in the usual ways. On our website, there's a review of this Brand Alley case that I mentioned, and we'll make sure that we post that and some of Eric's figures on um, Amazon into the LinkedIn group as well. It's uh, free to join. Uh, t just search Tech Law 10 on LinkedIn, and you'll find us. Uh, as Eric says, thanks very much for listening. We'll catch up with you in a week or so. And in the meantime, I guess uh, enjoy the summer and hope plenty of you are getting some books to read by the pool, whether it be on paper or on one of those other devices that Amazon produce that we haven't talked about yet. So thanks for listening, and take care. Cheers.